Hey, welcome to Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I am not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. Thank you so much for being with me. I wanted to share this testimony, if I can call it that, before I dive into what I want to talk about today. I have done a podcast episode where I've talked about teaching your kids to pray, and if you want to check it out, I would encourage you to do it. Not that I have some grand epiphany on what prayer is, but I think I do understand the simplicity of prayer. It's not what some people have made it out to be, where you have to have the right words and you have to say the right things, and if you don't do it in the right order and you don't approach God in a specific way, then your prayers aren't going to be answered. Your prayers aren't really going to do anything for you. You're kind of just wasting your time, wasting your breath. Prayer is a very simple thing where you just talk to God. If you want some more info on that, just check out the episode, Teaching Your Kids to Pray. My wife sent me this a while back, and I was reminded of it, and I just wanted to share it with you. So I do my best to teach my son to pray by just talking to God. I tell him that God is interested in your life. God is interested in your day-to-day. So Whatever you experience in your day, yeah, God knows about it, but God still wants to hear you tell it. And dads, I think you can relate to this. You can see your kids go through specific things, or you know that they went to something while you weren't there, but you still want to know their perspective on what they experienced. You still want to see how they see it. You want to know how it's rationalized in their mind. You just want their perspective because it's cute, it's funny, it's unique, it's different, and it opens up their personality. It gives you insight to who they are and who they're becoming. And I told my son, I've told my kids, God's interested in that. God wants to know you just as much as you want to know Him. And honestly, God wants to know you even more than that. God wants to hear about your day. God wants to hear your thoughts. God wants to hear the things that you want, the things that you don't like. God's interested in all that stuff. So I've never taught Frankie the now I lay me down to sleep prayer. And honestly, I couldn't because I don't even know it myself. I just tell him, bub, why don't you just pray? Just talk to God. Tell him whatever you want. Well, one night I wasn't there. I was on my way home from church, I think, and my wife sent me a text and she said, you have to hear what your son just prayed. And this is, what she, this is what she sent me. Frankie prayed, Jesus, help everyone. We want to go to the place you are building very soon. I hope you build it very special. And then she inserted a long pause here. And don't let any critters get eaten. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny, it's cute. But I saw that, I read that, and I was so proud as a dad. I feel like maybe I've failed in other areas. Maybe I still have to improve, and I probably still need to improve in this one too. But the fact that I have already instilled in my son that he can just talk to God and tell him whatever is on his mind, that's a win in my book. That's, that's a great win because I have come to realize later in life the importance and the significance of prayer and the simplicity of it and how helpful it is to us, not only in our relationship with God, but the soothing impact that comes from prayer when you're able to just release your burdens and just talk to God about whatever it is, it's incredible. It's a wonderful experience, 
and I do it honestly as much as I as much as I can. And I encourage my kids to do the same. And sometimes we catch them talking in the back. And sometimes Frankie's like, oh, I'm just talking to myself. And other times Frankie's like, I'm just praying. I'm just talking to God. I was like, okay, well, obviously it's none of my business. It's cute, but it's also meaningful to me because there's already that value of prayer that's being instilled in my kids. And I'm grateful that I have been able to do that for them. So just wanted to share that proud dad moment because... I'm proud of not only what I have done, but I am most proud of my son who is understanding that he can just talk to God. He has an interest in being with him. He has an interest in relationship. Even today at church, he watched, he wanted to watch this little girl get baptized and he wanted to know more about baptism. And as a Christian, as a dad, that's that's just wonderful to me. So I just wanted to share that because I'm a proud father and I know you've got things that you're proud about too. If you happen to be in the uh, Dad's Only group for Fathering Our Future on Facebook, then you should share some of your stories too. And if you're not, then we have a group, Fathering Our Future, Dad's Only. All you got to do is ask to join the group. And as long as you're a dad, I'll let you in. But here's the catch. You can't have a joint account with your wife because this is Dad's Only, right? This is just men. This is just dads. If you have the joint account... Access denied, okay? All right, so let's talk about what I want to talk about today. This actually stemmed from a sermon and a book that I am working on, but I thought how applicable this is for us as dads. So it's just a slight venture from that, but along the same lines. So the Bible tells us in the Gospel of Luke, there's the story of the prodigal son, and we're familiar with most of the chapter, but you have the story that Jesus tells about the lost sheep, the story about the lost coin, and then the story about the lost or the prodigal son. And this is what I want to talk about, and I just want to go ahead and get your mind prepped. And the thought that I want to drive home is that your love isn't earned. Your kids should not have to earn your love. Your love for them should be readily and freely available at all times no matter what. Your love for your kids ought to be unconditional. They should not have to earn your love no matter what. No matter what they do, no matter how far they stray, it does not matter. Your kids should not have to earn your love. So this is, if you will, a perspective or a story from the prodigal. So Luke records this in his gospel. And I believe it's Luke 15. You've got to forgive me. I just kind of went mindless on the chapter here, but I think it's Luke 15, and shame on me if I don't have it correct. But Luke starts this out where there's people, Pharisees, scholars, people who thought they knew a lot about the Scriptures and about religion. They're talking amongst themselves, and they're talking about Jesus, and they're wondering, who is this man, and why is it that he is talking to this group of nobodies, this group of sinners? And so Jesus continues to talk and teach the group of sinners that he was with, but he's really trying to answer the question of the people who thought they had it all figured out. And so he tells the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But while he focuses on the kingdom, and he makes that very clear that, you know, 
when the sheep is found, there's a mass celebration, and it's the same way in heaven when one person who was lost is saved, or one person who was lost is found. But what we often miss is when we look at the scriptures, it's not solely about the kingdom. When it's about the kingdom, it's also about the king. So Jesus is trying to answer this question of, why is it that he talks to these people? Who really is he? Why is this his agenda? Jesus is trying to tell them, look, I'm the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes to find the one. I'm the keeper of the house who drops everything on the calendar to find the coin that's gone missing. I'm the father of the prodigal who runs to meet him when he's coming back. My love is not earned. My love is unmerited. My love is unconditional. My love reaches out and tries to grab hold of those that I love. It's reaching. It's love that is ever-giving, ever-reaching. So this is what I want to talk about, because while I have not experienced this, I know that it's typically a good thing to be like Jesus. So let me just talk to you from this passage of Scripture, and let's focus on the father of the prodigal. So the father of the prodigal, he has two sons that we are told about. And the younger son, he gets this idea that he just wants to go ahead and start life all by himself. He says to his dad one day, I'd like to take my inheritance a little bit early so I can go off and make a name for myself, so I can do my own thing. You know, I want to I want to have reputation. I want to be someone that people look up to and admire. So if you would, please give me my money and let me skedaddle. Well, while I think most dads probably listening to this and reading that would think there's not a chance at all that I would give my son an inheritance uh, before I'm gone. Like, it's just not going to happen. In our culture today, very odd. Like, I know we got some trust fund kids. I wouldn't mind being one. I'm not, unfortunately, but, you know, things are okay. While that's not really the case for most of us, I don't think anyone would jump on board and say, yeah, let me go ahead and just give you some money so that you can go do your own thing. Like it's one thing to invest in a child's idea and say, yeah, I'll, I'll invest in this, but obviously there's a return for me, right? It's a totally different thing to say, okay, yeah, let me just go ahead and split what I've got and give you your portion, and I'll get none of it back while I'm still alive. It's a weird thing for us, but this is what happened. And in that context, maybe it was still weird. Maybe it wasn't as foreign, but that's what happened. The father was totally okay giving something to his son before the proper time. And what does the young son do? He goes out and he does what a young son is going to do. He parties. The Bible tells us that he wastes all of that inheritance on lavish living and women. That sounds like a young guy. (laughs) That sounds like a young guy with some resources, with some money. Let me go ahead and wine and dine and make some friends. And while I'm at it, let me go ahead and impress the ladies. And that's exactly what this guy does. He goes out and he brings shame to his dad. He spoils the name. And back then, a name was important. Names in the Bible and that, not just in Scripture themselves, but names in that culture names during that period of time 
You were given a name because it identified you, not just how my name is Anthony, but whatever Anthony happens to mean would identify the type of person that I am. It's like Jacob. We know that the name Jacob was supplanter or this trickster, this thief, if you will. And that's what he was known as, and that's kind of how he was. This is why when he has the encounter with God, his name is changed because he's no longer identified as this thief or this deceiver. And so then names had a lot of significance. And to shame a family name was a big deal. Like People would not like this. And this is exactly what this son does. When he goes out bearing that same name and just wastes all of this hard-earned money of his father, I'm sure people talked. I'm sure news got back, and I'm sure that that dad had some people talking about him saying, I can't believe he gave his son that money. I can't believe he would do that and allow that and stand for that and not come out and say, oh, he's no longer a son of mine. I'm sure a discussion like that probably happened. It's not like gossip is a new thing, you know, exclusive to the 21st century. It's It's been around for a while, probably since the beginning. I mean, realistically, Adam and Eve, they have this whole thing. God's like, Adam, what happened? He was like, oh, it was Eve's fault. <laughs> Let me tell you all about what Eve did. I mean, it's it's been around since the beginning. It's not a new thing. So yeah, the father probably had some people talking about him, and it probably wasn't enjoyable for him, but it was it was probably happening. And so this son, who once had resources and wasted everything, finds himself broke, and wouldn't you know it, it happens during the famine. It happens during the recession. Nobody can give, it sounds a little bit like COVID 2020. Nobody's hiring. You're not going to get a job. Everyone's losing work. It's impossible to make money. Well, he found a way. And honestly, he found a way probably because he observed his father who was able to accumulate this great expanse of wealth. So he starts working for some farmer, and he is essentially tending to the pigs. This is his job. He gets to take care of the swine. Well, he's clearly not making a lot of money, because the Bible tells us that he was still so hungry that he wanted to eat the food that was being given to the pigs. Now, just to help you paint the proper picture here, the fruit that is identified in the Greek language of the text, I think it's the karab, I think that's the correct pronunciation, you know, don't forgive me on that, but this karab fruit, it is basically like a grosser looking banana, and it's a very, very sweet fruit, and then it was used to fatten animals. That's exactly what they used it for. They would give these animals this really sweet taste and fruit to fatten them up. And the only alternative were people who were extremely poor, and that's all they could get their hands on. So, you know, just think about it from the perspective of the prodigal for a moment. He comes from a family with a vast amount of wealth. He has probably lived it up his entire life. The meals that he had every day were probably four or five-star meals. He's having a good life. Like, th- this is not just some random person 
who is like, oh, I go to McDonald's most days. No, this guy's going, you know, if he's going to have lunch, he's going to a steakhouse because daddy can afford it. I mean, he, he's up there financially. And now he's at the complete opposite end of the totem pole. He is desiring. He can't even get it. He can't even obtain it. He is at rock bottom. He's wanting to steal the food that the pigs are supposed to eat because he's that hungry. He's wanting to steal food that belongs to animal, food that belongs to the lowest class of people during his time. That's what he's going for. That is how awful he shamed the name of his father, the family name, this person who had wealth, who had a good upbringing, and now he has just chosen a stupid path, and he is at the lowest of lows. The prodigal finally comes to his senses, and he thinks to himself, look, daddy is loaded. Daddy's got money. Daddy's got land. He's got wealth. He's got servants. He's got people who work for him all the time, who live on the premise. And these people, they eat good. My dad is so wealthy and so rich that his servants eat good, eat better than most people. What am I doing not eating anything and just hoping that I can, you know, slip some of the pig slop into my bowl so that I can have some food? So he comes to his senses and he thinks to himself this big spiel that he'll give his father that I've sinned against God, I've sinned against you, would you please just allow me to come back and be a servant? Just just let me work for you. That That's all I want, because he knew that was better than dying, and that was the path that he was on. So he conjures up all the strength that he has left, and he begins to make that journey back to his dad's house, a journey that was probably a little bit miserable, a little bit tough. He's probably thinking to himself the entire way back, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know if he's going to accept me. He's probably rehearsing in his head the best way to formalize his apology. Do I say that I've sinned against God first? Do I say I've sinned against him? Do I do I say anything else? Do I make a better plea on how I can become a servant and things that I can do and what I can bring to the table? I mean, he's probably stressing himself out to the point of death. The hunger is probably secondary to the amount of worry that he is experiencing on this journey back to his dad's house. Because this is his last shot, and he knows. He knows that he's messed things up. He knows that people know what he has done. And if other people know what he has done, then people are saying stuff about his dad. And so the Bible tells us that he's on the way home. And this is a beautiful part of the story, because it tells us that while he's still a great distance from the house, he looks and he sees someone coming toward him. He's, he's just encroached on the property. The house is still a great distance down the path, but he notices the outline of someone coming toward him. And the Bible tells us that it's his father and that he runs into him, that, that he basically tackles him to the ground. Now, keep in mind, this guy is gross. He has been 
wallowing around with pigs, trying to steal their food. He has not probably had a good place to live. He's probably not been able to clean himself. He is covered in God only knows what. I mean, he is filthy. And his dad runs to him, a man of high esteem, a man of reputation, a man who's probably wearing some pretty sweet attire at this point. He's probably got some pretty expensive clothing on. And he runs into him and embraces him. He doesn't care that the robe or the garment that he has is nice and expensive. He runs and tackles his son, embraces him, absorbs all that filth and stank onto his own garments. The Bible tells us that he kisses his neck. That was probably the grossest neck in the history of mankind. Yet his dad still kissed his neck. He embraced the filth of his son. And what I find so remarkable is that after this out-of-nowhere experience happens, the son immediately begins to try and deliver his apology, what he's probably worked on the entire journey. He says, Dad, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against God. He doesn't even have the opportunity to make the plea to be a servant. As you read the story, you'll read that the father cuts him off doesn't even acknowledge that he has begun to apologize. He immediately calls out to his servants, and he says, I want you to get some stuff for my son. First, I want you to go ahead and prepare a feast, because my son who's lost, he's found. But I want you to get him a robe. I want you to get him some new clothes, clothes that identify him as wealthy, as someone of status. I'm reinstating him by the way he looks. I want you to get him some shoes for his feet. Now, the neat thing about the shoes is that in that culture, in that context, when you went into a house, the only people who were allowed to wear shoes were the people of esteem, the people who owned the house. The servants weren't allowed to. You couldn't wear shoes in the house. But the father said, I want my son to have shoes. I want him to walk around here like he used to walk around here. And then he said, bring him a ring. Now, the context with the ring is this is a signet ring. This is a ring that represents the family. The ring in this context is the equivalent in our culture today of a father giving his son a credit card to his account. This guy blew all of his inheritance away. And when he comes back, only requesting to be a servant, he doesn't even have the opportunity to make the plea. And his father says, you make sure he looks the part of my son. You make sure he has the authority to walk around like my son. And you make sure he can act on behalf of this family and spend money as we need to spend money. This is crazy love. This is love that is a, is a little difficult to kind of wrap our head around. Like, if you've been burnt by someone, why would you just 
show them such immense grace where they just have the opportunity to burn you again. Like we we typically we, we typically stray away from that. If someone does something to us, it it's negative toward us, it hurts us, you know, sometimes we we just want to cut them off. And the other thing that's remarkable about this full reinstatement is the father just the love for his son in comparison to everything else, his esteem, his reputation, what other people would think about him, it's not even comparable. Because the Bible tells us that he ran. He ran to meet his son. In that culture and time, the men of esteem, the, the man of the house, the one who has the wealth, first of all, servants went out to meet the guest. Secondly, men of that age didn't run. They didn't run around because this was the work of a servant. This was the work of a slave. And so in two different ways, he is breaking the code, if you will. And if people found out that that's what he did, they would think less of him. But the father is willing to lay aside his reputation in order to regain his son. It's a beautiful depiction. Now, Jesus uses this depiction to help us look at him and see how he is, that he runs to those who were lost and who are broken and who are in need. Those are the people that he gravitates toward. But this picture that he paints of this dad who is willing to embrace a son, a child who has shamed his name, He has rebelled against everything that he was taught. He has chosen a different lifestyle. He is a complete failure in the eyes of everyone. This dad doesn't care about any of that. He just cares that he has his son back. Now, I mentioned that I've not had this experience. I've got three kids under five. My son actually turns five November the 8th, which... That's when this podcast is going to be released. He'll be five, and all the other girls, the two of them, they're three and almost one. I've not experienced what it's like to have a son or daughter, a child, who chooses to live a different lifestyle than what I've taught them to live. They go out and they make their own decisions. They go out and they do things that dishonor who I am. And there may be some dads who have had that experience. Maybe you're still in that experience. And you're listening to this and you're thinking, this kid just, he doesn't know. He's not, he's not experienced it. While I may not know from experience, what I do know is that it's usually best to be like Jesus. And Jesus tells this entire story, this beautiful depiction of this father embracing and loving and running after this son who has done nothing good for him. But because he's his son, because he's his child, it doesn't matter. Love isn't earned. That love is unconditional. He doesn't have to come back and beg to just simply be a servant. When he comes back, he comes back and he is a son. He is a son just as much as he ever was. So I say this for two reasons today. The first reason is if you really are in a scenario like that where you have a child who has abandoned 
what you've taught them. Don't reject them. Don't don't value your reputation more than you value your child. If they come back, if they make the decision to come back to you for help, you should jump all over that opportunity. You should run to them just like the father did for the prodigal. Don't miss that opportunity. And the second group, dads, I know sometimes, you know, we can get on that ego trip. Our pride can get in the way where we think, you know, if you want respect, you've got to be respectful. You've got to earn things. Don't make your kids earn your love. You should love them so much that they don't even have to hear it. They should hear it, but they shouldn't even need to. The way that you treat them, the things that you do for them, the way that you go out of your way to give them experiences that they will love. Some experiences, honestly, that they will probably not remember because they're too young or because so many other things happen that will just be better. But just because you think in that moment, this is going to be great. I took my son Frankie out one night. It's probably been almost a year ago. We just drove through the neighborhood. I let him sit in the front seat, and I let him kind of sit on his knees and stick his head out the window. I rolled the windows down. I, I drove through the neighborhood like 10 miles an hour. And at one point, I'll never forget I'll never forget where we were in the neighborhood, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, this is the most fun I've ever had, and he said it with the biggest smile on his face. And for me, it was, it, it was so worth it. it. I mean, it just cost me a little bit of gas, and at that point, gas was cheap, so it wasn't a big deal. I can't do it now because gas is so expensive. I'm not going to go there, but go out of your way. Don't make your kids earn your love. Your kids should know that daddy loves me no matter what, that it's his love for me is unmerited. His love for me is unconditional. And if they even grow up to the point where they know that and they take advantage of that love, kind of like the prodigal son did for his dad, even if they knowingly betray you and they do you wrong, Jesus gives us the example of how he is with us by letting us hear a story of a father who was wronged and betrayed by his son. But when given the opportunity to reinstate him, he ran at it. So just remember that. Your love is not earned. Your love is something that you should give all the time, freely, in huge and great abundance. Don't make your kids earn your love. Be like Jesus. Be like that father of the prodigal. When you have the opportunity, when you have that opportunity to restore a relationship, you have the opportunity to show love. Run at that opportunity. This is Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time.